This is a HeadGum Podcast. Craig, I like to think of the internet as a dark, twisted mirror version of the real world that you access through an unused door in your drawing room. <laughs> Everything you've said so far is incredibly exciting to me. Yeah, Tell me well, more. How do yeah, I access what... this internet? <laughs> well, you can get a creepy key from somewhere in your house and you can open the door and you can walk down the dark hallway of the internet Thanks to our sponsors this week. I'm sure they're just thrilled. You guessed it. It's Squarespace, your friend and mine. Yeah. Squarespace empowers millions of dreamers, makers, and doers by providing them with the tools they need to bring their creative ideas to life. In other words, it's a website that helps you make websites. Ah. They can also help you claim a domain. They help you sell stuff online. They help you market your brand. And they give you analytics and stats so you can see who's coming down your dark internet hallway to see your macabre horrors. <laughs> um, they help <laughs> do this by giving you award-winning design, world-class engineering, 24-7 customer support, and there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. So if this sounds interesting to you, go to squarespace.com overdue for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com overdue. Save 10% with the offer code overdue. Squarespace. It's not scary. <laughs> it's Squarespace. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And it's time to talk about books. Dude, you're getting a little spooky. It is. I feel Spooked like it's October and April. It's a little spooky in here. I didn't really plan on it. It just kind of <laughs> got that way. I mean, April is as far from October on the calendar as you get, right? Because the 10th month and the 4th month. Yeah, that raises so something. Six months. I, I said the phrase Christmas in July the other day. We're going to be talking about Coraline by Neil Gaiman today. Um, I was said the phrase Christmas in July the other day, and Laura was like, why do we do it in July? Like, June is further from Christmas than july is how did that happen if we wanted to do our own christmas in july i think it would be spooktober in april or if we wanted to like bezos like create yes. a holiday from whole cloth that is as far away on the fiscal calendar it'd be from called, the big holiday it'd be, let's call it april i'm scared <laughs> spooky spring <laughs> April showers bring your dead. Um, what book did you read again this week, Andrew? Oh, Coraline by Neil Gaiman. Great. And as our listeners will soon find out if they don't already know, one of us reads the book and talks to the other person about it. Uh, we'll take a quick break along the way, but first we want to talk about uh, Neil Gaiman and a little bit of the background of the novel. Now, Andrew, you have read two other Neil Gaiman stories for the show. Do you remember what they are? Yes, because I just asked you before we started recording. Oh, Good well. Omens by Neil Gaiman and uh, Terry Pratchett. Yeah. Uh, which uses a lot of, I think, common elements from both of their respective uh, fictional multiverses. <laughs> 
Um, and then uh, Ocean at the End of the Lane, which was like a... I oh, mean, it's been a long time. It was like a creepy, idyllic village vibe. Yes, as I recall, it was like it was kind of fantastical, but didn't have like overt fantasy in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Those are episodes one fifty five and two eleven, respectively. If folks want to go check them out, mm. um, I might encourage you to do so because we're not going to spend too much time on Gaiman at the top of this episode since we've already done it. Uh, I will remind y'all that he was born in the UK in nineteen sixty. Uh, he's a big proponent of libraries and librarians. Um, he got his start writing not novels. He was writing bi- weird biographies, like one for Duran Duran. Uh, <laughs> and his big breakthrough I work... I kind of need to read the Neil Gaiman biography <laughs> of Duran Duran now, though. Uh, his big breakthrough work was the graphic novel Sandman um, in 1991. And Which then, we will do for the show in some form at some yeah, point. I'm yeah. determined. Because I've read big chunks of it, but not all of it. And yes. you've read none of it. None of it. it so, none of it. None yeah. of it. Um, and then his first novel was what Andrew mentioned earlier, Good Omens. Um, and then his own first like solo novel was a novelization of a teleplay that he wrote. So things that have happened to Neil Gaiman since we recorded any of those episodes. Um, his book, American Gods, became a stars television series. Mm-hmm. And there Apparently was... the wheels have just fully come off of that thing. Yeah. I haven't watched any of it. But... <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it seems like. Um, and there was a mini-series, like an Amazon mini-series of Good Omens, I believe, that yeah. I saw but like got confused because American Gods was also happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen... I don't. It was probably a year or two ago, I think they made Ocean at the End of the Lane into some sort of stage production over in the he's had Coraline has had a number of adaptations as well but I remember him tweeting a lot about whatever the Ocean at the End of the Lane production was yeah um, I also know that he had to apologize profusely for doing pandemic inappropriate travel during the pandemic oh did he <laughs> that was on his Wikipedia page for some reason Ooh. I assume yeah I don't know whoops um Speaking of Coraline adaptations, probably the most famous one is the, I think, 2009 uh, film directed by Henry Selleck, who is also known for the Nightmare Before Christmas movie and the James and the Giant Peach movie. Let's not forget Monkey Bone. Well, let let's let never forget Monkey Bone. Never forget Monkey Bone. Sure. But Henry Selleck's got an aesthetic that I think Tim Burton gets a lot of credit for because he was involved in in Nightmare, but the way that film's production went, like Henry Selleck was functionally in charge of a whole (laughs) lot of it. But yeah, it's it's pretty well regarded. It is, as I understand it, a pretty straightforward adaptation. It's not one of those kid movies that puts in a chase scene at the end. Yeah, so I did <laughs> find that doesn't um, that's not in the book. I guess there are some elements of chasing, but I found a much. few interviews with Gaiman about the film, which also the film also features Dakota Fanning, it features Terry Hatcher, uh Keith David, John Hodgman, Ian McShane, a bunch of, you know, a rogue oh, yeah, gallery of fun voices, is, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um but it was also so it was stop motion, um which if you haven't you know, figured that out from the other men- the other films Andrew mentioned. Uh, they did a lot of 3D printing to do all of the models and stuff, which gave them like a bunch of different options and an interesting production quality. And then it was screened in 3D because it was the late aughts, so like everything was ah, in yes. 3D. So Avatar had just come out, and I found an interview. With- still waiting for Avatar two. <laughs> still Where- waiting. Where is um, it? 
Neil Gaiman like loved the 3D in that film, and even I think A.O. Scott's review in the Times really loved it. Like because it's stop motion, the 3D gave it a depth, but it was actually pretty subtle. Like mm-hmm. yes, some stuff came at the screen because it's 3D, but it was mostly about like visual depth and stuff like that. Well, because you're already creating all of that in the in the process of making stop the motion. stop motion yep. thing. Like you have the depth of the of the like the backdrops and the sets and whatever. That's interesting. It gives gives you more of a diorama sort of yes feeling that you don't really have to do a whole lot of extra work to capture probably because you're yep. already putting in most of it hmm. um, interesting and two other things i'll just mention about the film uh gaiman said i had one huge note on the first draft script which was that i thought it was too faithful um a lot of the book occurs in in Coraline's head you know she's walking down a corridor and you know what she feels and what she thinks walking down that corridor and suddenly it turned into this thing where you have this girl walking down a lot of corridors (laughs) (laughs) and so there's some things that I think they added a whole character named YB who's like a friend that Coraline can have over the course of the movie Hmm. um, which I think was a way to externalize some of what she was maybe going through or feeling yeah, that's how you make exposition happen in a story where yeah. most of the exposition is happening in someone's head as you have a character who can come up and say, you know, since you moved here three years ago <laughs> from blah, 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 yeah. and here's how you do at school, and here's all the stuff that the audience needs to know about you just in a convenient couple of info dumps right here at the beginning. Yes. Some of the action sequences, I think, are changed, and obviously the ending is a little bit different because YB is involved, and so maybe some things go down a little differently. So if folks are coming, I have not seen the film, so we can't, nah, we won't base our discussion on the film, but I know some folks maybe came into this story from the film first. And then just overall, like, response to the book over the years has been incredibly positive. It took him, like, 10 years to write it. He started it when I think his daughter Holly was young and he was writing it for her and he wrote it over the course of 10 years. Uh, And when he finished it, he said he was writing it for his other daughter, Maddie. (laughs) Um, And he said he would stop writing when he didn't know what happened next. Sometimes it would take four years. Then I'd know what happened next and I'd go away and write it, uh, which also meant sometimes he was only writing 50 words a night. And an editor would be like, what happened to this character? And he'd be like, wait, I didn't write that yet? Oops. Oops, I forgot I didn't write that, Uh, which is kind of funny. And yeah, it's been adapted into the film. It's been adapted into a comic book. It's been adapted as a play, as an opera. There was a video game for the PS2, Nintendo, DS, and Wii. That one was not well-reviewed. No, it was not. Um, And he narrated the audiobook, uh, which came out like even before the actual book itself, um, like by a month or two. And yeah, Andrew, I think the thing that I'll want to talk about as we talk about this book is like, why were so many of our listeners pumped, do you think, to hear us talk about it? Uh-huh. Um, and this has a reputation for being a creepy, scary book, but not in a uh, like fear street, kids getting their hands hurt in garbage disposals <laughs> kind of like bloody mess book yeah i have some i have some thoughts about that that we can that we can get into yeah um i did want to one other like tidbit from the film's history that i thought was kind of funny was that they might be giants did like 10 songs for the movie but then they decided that the movie was gonna be 
like sadder than they might be giants. And so there's only one, I think, that ended up actually making it into the film. Oh, no. I don't know if the other songs ended up on any uh, They Might Be Giants albums. I'm not familiar enough with the full discography, but... uh, I think those guys are doing okay, though. No, they're they're fine. This did not make or break them. No, I mean they were they were coming off of that like Homestar Runner video that they did. They they were doing fine. Man, to be they might be giants. (laughs) Just think about it. I think about it a lot. We're gonna take a quick break and think about it, and then we'll come back and talk about the book. Okay. Craig, help! I'm trapped in another dimension with somebody who looks like my mom, but isn't. And there's a big, there's a vaguely sinister air about. And I would like to talk to somebody about it, please. Okay, I might have someone who can help you, Andrew. You'd better. (laughs) Overdue is brought to you this week by our sponsor, BetterHelp, which makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, convenient, so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. Maybe not what is specifically happening to the characters in Coraline, but... Uh, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating with them in a safe online environment in under 48 hours, and you can send a message to your counselor at any time. The service is available to clients worldwide, and licensed professional counselors have a broad range of expertise. As a listener, folks will get 10% off their first month by visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp.com slash Overdue. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, BetterHelp.com slash Overdue. Andrew, I have this blurb from the New York Times from 2002. Oh, great. Couldn't find Is New it York about Times. how we need to go to war with Iraq? Like, New York Times. <laughs> I couldn't find uh, a full review. I just found this blurb. Um, a modern ghost story with all the creepy trimmings. Coraline and her parents have moved into a new house with one locked door. Behind that door is a parallel universe of sorts with another, mo- with another mother and another father who would love to have Coraline stay with them forever. Well done. That's all. Well done. <laughs> well done. I'm intrigued by parallel universe of sorts. That's the kind of wiggle word that I would probably have edited out of that if I were editing that copy. Okay. Well, let's. It's um... just. It's just a parallel universe. You don't need to wiggle word it. Hmm. It's okay. not like a whole. It, I don't know. It's 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 silly. You don't need to do that. I well, but okay. So I will need to put of source behind stuff when hmm. you can just like when the definition of the thing is inherently sort of malleable and capable of encompassing a lot of different kinds of universes. Is the of sorts maybe gesturing to to like some metaphorical nature of the parallel well, universe? It's, it's, it's gesturing to how the monster in the book Coraline constructs a version of Coraline's house, but she has just built. There's a there's a helpful um, comparison point in the book where um, I think it, Coraline has a, a cat friend who is with her in, in this universe. Yeah. And says that a spider's web only needs to be big enough to catch flies. And so this this monster has only built a parallel version of the house and the the people who live on the other floors and the immediate environs. But then she starts walking too far away from it and it becomes that uh bugs bunny cartoon with the 
with the eraser. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just everything okay, gets yes. really like sure. indistinct because nobody thought to fill stuff in that far. It's what happens when you go out of bounds in a video game and you find like some really blurry textures that nobody's supposed to be looking at up close. Yes, it's when Truman crashes his boat into the wall. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So, uh, well, all right, I, I may think, have. I think that's enough comparison points to <laughs> I catch may have most people. Pushed us uh, a little too far in by asking you to unpack the blurb. Give me the setup of the book. What is what is happening at the beginning of the book, Coraline? So, Coraline is a, a young girl. I think she's she's like twelve ish. Like not. Yeah, I think that's not sure. You know, fairly mature as kids go, but certainly still a kid and not not a grown up or a teen. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like in the in the ten to twelve age group, I think. <laughs> and she and her parents live in this like multifamily dwelling, um, in England. And a lot of tropes going on here, I think. And and I'd say that not to be critical, but just to say like this like is touchstones what this book made me sure. think of is like Coraline is a girl who whose parents don't seem like they're around all that much or like paying all that much attention to her. She goes and explores the grounds and the, you know, the, the woods around the house by herself a lot because she's just kind of bored. Like it's, it's the, it's the kind of stuff that leads you to find a wardrobe that trips you into Narnia. And that is sort of the closest comparison point. I think I have for sort of the inciting action of Coraline is this, there's just some weird stuff going on and she's bored enough and curious enough that she finds it. Is there like, what is the tenor of her relationship with her parents? I was reading a, an article about like, we're going to eat a, an article on screenrant.com Cause that's a place I visit a lot. Um, bring, a, bring a lot of links. Yeah. <laughs> I just try to cite my sources. Um, we was talking about the like some of the differences between the book and the movie and talking about the parents and like what is the vibe there? Are they are they actually negligent or are they just like busy? Do they like her? Do you have a sense of that at the top of the book? Well, or Yeah, they and, and you you get more of this as the as the book goes on. There's like a story with her and her father in particular, but they, they love her. She's not neglected. It's just they they work a lot and she is old enough to sort of tend to her own affairs a lot of the time, and so she just she just does. She's left to that. Um, her dad, in particular, has big like Calvin's dad. Okay, from Calvin and Hobbes' energy, and like the the thing that he does when he cooks is that he makes recipes. <laughs> what does that and mean? When you think of making a recipe, it's like he makes he does chicken, but he does it like fancy with like Gruyere cheese and like you know, adult food in a way that a kid does not care for. Yeah. And uh. she's like, Oh dad, did you make a recipe again? And then she goes <laughs> and like microwaves a pizza. <laughs> what that like was about- apparently, that was apparently lifted from Gaiman's life. He, he's the dad. He's a dad who makes recipes. I like that. And your point about Calvin, I hadn't really thought about this as a dad trope, but like the way that dads can be dads makes them a, like they're not a villain. But them being themselves can make for a fun antagonist just by like doing stuff that kids don't want. Yeah, yeah. To and, fulfill and their own dad, dad is, dreams. Calvin's dad is sort of my. I mean, you know, my own dad certainly had his moments, but I think Calvin's dad is my role model for <laughs> parenting. Yes, 
I'm excited. And I think you could. I think you could do worse. Also. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's like true. Calvin's dad's parenting style needs more of a foil than Henry is mm. capable of being right now. Like he is not independent enough yet, but it'll happen. Yeah, yeah. I believe in you. I think yeah. you can get there. You're on the right track. Yeah. Um. Okay. So what? What is the of the big event, and what is like what precipitates it? So you get the first part of the book is is set up of Coraline sort of being bored in, in her world. And one of the elements of that is like all of the colorful cast of characters that lives in this house, like repeatedly calling her Caroline. This um, the Neil Gaiman, when he when he talks about creating this book, talks about its germination point being him writing trying to write the name Caroline and accidentally writing Coraline and then being like that's a that's a name someone would have I want to know more about the person who has that name yeah yeah (laughs) but they're all and and this is my my wife's name is Susanna and it's spelled a certain way and all the people who I've I there are people who I worked with for years who called her like Suzanne and Susan just and she gets that from a lot of people, including yeah. a lot of like clients and stuff that she works with. Names are hard. So that, you know, somebody with a with a you know a just barely off the beaten path name that people don't either don't care enough to learn or don't realize is different enough from the names that they already know to like learn. It yeah, and I'll I'll say like I've gotten better about names on the show and on our show here and I should have been better at it from the start because we've talked about my first name Mylan I went through years of people being like well I don't know what I'm gonna say here I'm just gonna mm-hmm. Milan what has happened Milan Milan and it's like and it's, it's just a thing that created created an anxiety for me when I was a, a younger kid right because it's just yeah. like I don't know just whatever just call, and you're and then some people call me craig and it's like i can't even craig i like a lot actually i don't i get there are people i like a lot who say it and i won't correct them <laughs> there are two i like when people call you craig and i like when we get an email or a tweet that calls you greg yeah even though we say our names at the top of every show and they're spelled out on the website and they're spelled out on twitter and, and on sp- itunes <laughs> Anyway, if if we ever get names wrong, please hold us to account because names are important and it's it's important to get them right. Yeah, Anywho. this is all a, this a roundabout way of of saying Coraline has completely a hundred percent relatable. Nobody ever gets my name right. Energy that I recognize from people in my own life. I love it. I love it. Okay. <laughs> um. So th- that's sort of used as a a way to drive home that she's unnoticed i guess oh okay sure she you know she she is old enough to want that but young enough that people like adults in her life aren't necessarily inclined to treat her as an equal or take her super seriously and so she just and there are no other kids at her age anywhere in this house not in the book version not in the movie version i guess they invented a friend for her but in this one she doesn't have that friend sure and so that's what sets her up to be sort of lonely and, and bored enough to go exploring. There is a drawing room in her family's like chunk of this house that is filled with um, her grandmother's furniture. I, I, 
the implication or maybe not implication, maybe they just say it, (laughs) 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 but uh, that she died and left them all this stuff and they don't, they, it, and this also is, it is theoretically relatable. I don't, we don't have enough storage space in our house to, for it to be directly relatable, but it is stuff that nobody wants to throw out, but nobody wants to use. Oh, okay. So like the it, stuff it, it that exists. I am deciding whether or not to pack to move into yes. my new home, that yes. stuff. It, yes. it exists on, on that part of the uh, the sentimentality spectrum, which is I spend no time thinking about this. But when I contemplate throwing it out, I think about it just enough that I would feel bad about it. Even yep. though if I did throw it out, I would never think about it ever again. <laughs> Andrew, I I put I was packing up stuff in my office today and I put three baseball tickets to games that I've be, I've been to a number of baseball games. Oh yeah, I know this about you. I but I have random tickets from some of those games in boxes in random places in my life and I couldn't throw these away. I don't well, need but, them. But do you remember even what the significance of those particular games was or was it just games? One of them is in Baltimore and I've only been there to a game once as an adult. So I'm probably going to keep that one. But there's but like you just other remember Phillies the... ones there. I'm like, why are why do I have these? <laughs> Wait, but you remember the uniqueness of the occurrence and not the reason you were there in the oh, first no, place? Oh no, I remember why I was okay, there in the right, first right, place. Right, right. That one makes sense to me. But the okay. why do I have these other Phillies tickets? I don't need them. I, I could go buy new ones. <laughs> I guess they are opening back up, aren't they? If I yeah. Whatever. Philly Philly. Philly Philly. I identify with Coraline's parents. Moving on. <laughs> So there is this this door in this room, and because of the way that this this house and this is another thing that might be familiar to us from South Philadelphia real estate. It used to be one big house, and now it's a bunch of little houses because <laughs> they split it all up. <laughs> yeah, and so you open this door, and there is just brick back there. There's it doesn't go anywhere because they bricked it up, but they didn't actually bother to pull the door down and put a new drywall up so there you go yeah <laughs> it's just a weird mystery door that doesn't go anywhere okay but she is beckoned to this this door by some force that she doesn't really understand it's it's manifests itself earliest as a shadow that doesn't really belong to anything that she sees in the night that like crawls under this door so this is all happening. Um, her parents are, they, they go out for some reason. It's not a super important for what reason it is, but she's, she's left at home to tend to herself and she decides I am going to do what my parents say I shouldn't do, which is another trope in books for kids this age, I think is kids flouting authority incorrectly. <laughs> Well, yeah, you I have, say, well, 35 year old dad. Yeah. I mean, kids, the only way they're going to learn is by doing something and then kind of messing up or making the suboptimal choice or the alternate choice. Well, and, and what often happens is because it's a book for kids, it's not all about the kid getting into big trouble and then having their parent have to come in and swoop everything, you know, yes. swoop in and fix everything. It's about the kid discovering something that her parents weren't like attuned to enough to to discover and then like fixing it on her own yeah okay cool spoilers for the end of Coraline. (laughs) so what does she discover she opens this door and it is not a brick wall it is a corridor it is a dark corridor Mm. 
And it's just it feels like there is something old and slow and creepy in there. Sounds like you're the, DMing right now. You you've gone into a corridor and there's something old and slow and creepy in there. <laughs> <laughs> I would have overwritten it more if I were DMing. <laughs> now just knowing what i know about how i dm which i haven't done in a long time but sure i like the idea of dming more than the yeah the fact of it the prep is way more fun than the scheduling the scheduling is the worst Ugh. shout out Ugh. to all our dms out there you're doing the lord's work shout out to all the shattered dnd groups that i've been <laughs> a part of over the years that no longer meet because maybe some of us had kids at exactly the same time, <laughs> and it just never worked out again after that. Okay, so what's down this corridor? What's going on? She. This is where she finds the mirror version of her own house. Like it looks, it looks like the drawing room that she came out of, but there's something just a little bit off about that. She doesn't really have time to figure out before she sees her mother and father. But they are they her mother and father? Because they have weird shiny black buttons in place of their eyes. Are they all mm, is the book more specific about whether or not they're they also have normal fleshy human bodies? Well they they're like teeth and fingers are all too long. It's uh. very it's very for lack of a better word, I guess, it's very much like their characters from a Henry Henry Selleck movie. <laughs> sure, I I heard uh, one of the reviews I read. I, honestly, I don't remember if it was of the film or of the book. Like name checked uh, Guillermo del Toro, and I honestly think that that might that does sound like it's not too far off because mm. all of his monsters have that like incredible humanness to them which is what makes them so not repellent but like it's about falling into the uncanny valley yeah really embracing the uncanny valley and rolling around in it until you get real dirty and creepy using it instead of trying to pretend like it doesn't exist yes that's a good way to think about it sure yeah it's they're not doing like a final fantasy spirits within (laughs) i want to watch that movie i was was thinking about that movie the other day woof So she and and Coraline has been feeling sort of neglected by her own parents. And so these this version of her own parents saunters up and they're being very, uh, very nice to her. And they make her home cooked food, but it's just regular. Like, it's not a recipe. It's just here's some peas. Here's some chicken. Like, it doesn't have like a reduction of anything. Yeah. Poured all over it. Like, it's it's fine. (laughs) It's what she wants. It's what it's what she thinks she wants, and then they say, you know, you could you could stay here forever. Uh, you just have to let us sew these like buttons onto your face. And at that point, Coraline <laughs> is like, hold up, I don't know about this. I don't know about this one. What? Did What's they the literally problem? say you? <laughs> That's they don't say that. They just they they hold up a platter and it's got buttons and a needle and thread on it. Like that's no. That's yeah. worse. Yeah, it's not great. Okay. And she's like, you know, that's nice. That's a nice offer, but I'm I gotta get back. Like, people are gonna miss me if I don't <laughs> go back to my regular house. So she goes back. Okay, they they her, let her leave. Yeah, well, th- there's a so a couple of the the tenants in in this in in the house that she lives in. Uh, one of they read her tea leaves before this happens and give her 
they'd say that she's in imminent danger. And then one of them gives her this little rock with a hole through the middle of it. And it ends up being this. I feel like this is another trope where you get something by accident. And then it turns out being to be like a life-saving. This one gives me a sort of Bilbo falling down and happening to use the ring at the exact moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, so she's she's been given this like trinket thing that just happens to protect her when she's in this uh this parallel of sorts universe. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. So she goes back home and her parents never come back. Oh. She's home for like two days by herself and Making the most of it, like she is eat, drinking limeade and eating cake for all the meals because her parents aren't home to tell her not to. But she is, and th- this felt very of that age to me. Is if you if you were to be left to your own devices initially, and you would think it was cool, and you'd be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna kick it." old school like a movie about kids who have a party or something and i'm gonna do whatever i want i'm gonna eat cereal whenever i want i'm gonna do whatever i like but then you miss your mommy and daddy though because you're still a kid yep and so that's sort of what happened that still sort of happens to me in my in as an adult if like laura goes on a trip and then like for the first two days, I'm like, man, I'm just gonna eat Domino's every meal. <laughs> I'm gonna watch a bunch of like junk TV while I shove junk in my face. And then like thirty six hours later, I'm like, I'm, I'm still by myself and my life has not improved. It's probably gotten worse. <laughs> for me, it's more of a like this is too much freedom. I need yeah. I need even if it doesn't dramatically change my behavior, I do need somebody to be like, you fell asleep on the couch again, huh? Yeah. <laughs> like I need, I need at least the idea of guardrails. I need the notion that someone will be a, like disappointed in me if I've not done my share of the work in the kitchen. Like mm-hmm. if the sink is just full and I'm just jamming more stuff in there, like that's bad. On the other hand, when nobody's home and I go to bed early, I'm like, I did this and nobody even told me to. I'm just, this is me being a virtuous person. Nobody <laughs> will know. Those are heaven Nobody points. will know that I did the dishes without even being asked. Those are them. those are points that only St. Peter knows about. He tells yeah, you about true, them later. Yeah. He's like, I saw, I saw when you made the bed before you got in it instead of just <laughs> crawling into the snarl of blankets and working it out. <laughs> So wait, are there other like so her parents haven't come back? Mm-hmm. Are there still the other people in the building? Or yeah, is the that other not, people okay. in the building are, are are still there, and they are they're mostly just they're helping her pass the time or the giving her vague omens about how stuff is bad. Not good omens. Yeah, no, not good omens. Not like that book. And she uh, at some point she looks in a mirror and she sees her parents like looking out at her from in it and this hunch that she's had that they have been something has happened to them is sort of confirmed and she decides she's going to go back and this is i I mentioned earlier that story uh with her father yeah 
And this is, I think, a, a, a thing that people talk about a lot when they they say that they like this book is that this this sort of concept of bravery that it espouses. Oh, OK. And um, so uh, Coraline, a few years ago, she and her father are out walking sort of it's it's described as a wasteland. I think it's just kind of a junkyard like alley <laughs> situation. Another thing that's probably familiar to us from our time in South Philadelphia. Yeah, sure. It's just like a place where you can walk, but you probably shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But they they find a wasp's nest and her dad tells her to run. And he stands there and gets stung by wasps to make sure that she has enough time to get away, which she does. He gets stung 27 times or something like that. And he, on his way out, he drops his glasses and he goes back knowing the wasps are there to get his glasses. And he says to her, like, when I was like, when I was standing there to, drawing their fire basically to help you like that wasn't brave that was just like a thing that i felt like i had to do and i i did it and it was in the moment and it was like i didn't really think about it and but when i went but when i went back that was brave because i knew what was in there i knew the bad stuff that could happen and had happened Mm. and knowing that i decided to go in anyway so like being brave isn't about not being scared. It's about being scared and then doing the thing that you're scared of anyway. I dig that. Yeah, that's cool. I'm trying to remember how the movie Brave talks about bravery and whether you or not it's... change your feet. Would you? I don't remember. <laughs> it's best not to think too much about the movie Brave. It's best not, unfortunately. That's a cool... I like this book, though. bear stuff. Um, yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it's good. And that's... That is... What separates it from sort of a C.S. Lewis, your parents are where? Have we yeah. ever? Like, have they ever cared about you? Are they sure? Are you, just, are you good? Like, it, there's so many of these sort of boarding school, like, create a reason why these kids are out on their own with only light touch supervision from like magical authority figures who don't save them from death as often as they <laughs> ought to, sort of like Harry Potter style. Yeah. Um, well, but no, this is this is one where like Coraline's parents they just have adult worries and concerns, and Coraline doesn't doesn't like fully have access to that as a child. But it doesn't mean that they don't love her, and it doesn't mean that they don't, you know, take care of her. I feel like we talk. I feel like we talk about this Little Prince movie way more often than we should. You you talk about it a lot. Well, because I know you've seen it, so we can both reference it. But mm. I feel like the mom in that movie is in a similar place because that's that's a creation of the movie that is not part of the little prince the book um Mm -hmm. but there's like a an absent like like i think single mom like has to work to like provide for her and her daughter or her i think it's her daughter in the movie i don't remember um but like yeah it's not it's not a reflection of like these parents are mean to Coraline or even like fully disconnected in the world. See, interesting that you bring up Narnia and like this, those parents just ain't there. That's just not part of the story, just right? Aren't. Like, I don't think there is a parent in all of Narnia. <laughs> like in any of those books, I don't think you ever meet anybody's parents. And it's not a thing where like this is about just, like, like Susan doesn't get into heaven because she like makeup too much. Oh, There's man. nobody's parents are and, there. Whereas this book feels like it is about even though it is about her going into another universe where there are evil parents, that is fundamentally 
based on the fact that she does care about and have parents who care about her. Right. Yeah. And then she has a desire to be cared about by her parents. Sure. They, they aren't maybe immediately meeting in sort of a day to day sense, but also she is briefly equating, you know, being made a really good omelet with being parented good in a yeah. way that she, you know, she realizes once she sort of gets a feel for what's going on in the other universe. Like she realizes that she's not really, that's not really what she wants either. <laughs> sure. So can you tell me more about when she goes back in? So she goes back in and she meets the other mother and the other father. And those are their like official names in the book is like other mother and other. Father. TM, TM, TM. Okay. TM, TM. And they, you know, they take her key that helps her, that lets her get back and forth. And so she just, she just goes to stay there now. It's time for her to stay there now. That seems and bad. she she like misbehaves enough that she gets put into it's like a mirror version of the mirror that's in her house. Okay. Like she get, she's sort of a, a time she gets put in a timeout in that mirror. And while she's in there, she talks to three different sort of child entities from like different points in time. Uh, one is is very like I don't think middle English is quite it, but is is speaking in a in a way where it's English, but it's clearly from a long time ago. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but you're talking to all these all these kids and they're like, yeah, she this this thing, the Beldum, I believe it's called this monster has trapped us all. And she claims she wanted to care for us, but she just kind of. You know, she she gets whatever energy or whatever it is that she needs out of us, and then she casts us aside, and then we just gotta kind of hang out like husks. <laughs> Neat. And, but the the advice that they and the cat who she keeps intermittently running into, who can talk in the parallel universe, but who can only like, sort of blink suggestively in the real world. <laughs> um. I'll give her this idea that like th- this this monster can't resist like a, a wager or or a challenge or, or game of of some kind. So what Coraline says when she gets out is, "Okay, I've I've a I've a fun. Let's make this interesting." Says Coraline. <laughs> if I can find like the souls of these three kids in the mirror, and I can find where my parents are, you have to let me go. Oh. But if I can't find them, I will stay here forever, and I'll be your good girl. And that's, and that's what you want. And so this monster takes her up on the bet. Okay. And I I think this is also a trope is like the, the monster who you defeat with like logic or with like being able to play a long game rather than, you know, just trying to fight on the monster's terms. That's an interesting thing to, to like wrestle with in a kid's book. Right. Is cause like, Ideally, your reader is somewhere between maybe, let's say, 7 to 13. You know, I, I, people beyond that age range have read Coraline and have loved Coraline. But, like, if you're talking about the reader that is going to, like, kind of vibe with the character as a self-ID, um, the types... It doesn't sound like this is a didactic, like, lesson-based book in any way. Really, no. no, it's not. it's not about, like... Your parents love you. Yeah. You should you should think about it all the time. No, it's not but, that. But the positive qualities that you can maybe encourage a kid to think about are like, okay, you're a kid. You're probably not going to like 
punch a demon in the face and get away. Like, that's just not how it's going to go. <laughs> so, like, what else can you do? Yeah, you're not going to, like, Beowulf your way out of this one. So, what, no. do, you, what do you what do you figure out instead? Can you be more perceptive? Can you be more persuasive? Can you, uh, like, listen to a situation and plan ahead? Well, um, that, and that serves two sort of purposes. Is, is One is the kid gets to read about the kid defeating a monster. And another is... The things that you, a kid, notice that an adult doesn't, doesn't notice yep. has value and can be used yeah, to yeah. defeat the adult slash monster. Can I, can I just share a quote from... Um, I don't want you to respond to this quote, Andrew, because I think this is probably Jeez. the best place to talk Fine. about it. All right. I'm just going to sit back. Get ready for this quote. Coming yeah, in hot. Mm-hmm. Um, this is from Philip Pullman. You might remember him. I can't react. I don't know. Okay. Uh, Philip Pullman, um, reviewing this book in 2002, he says, The narrative voice is not Coraline's, but hers are the only thoughts and feelings we are told about, so she is at the center of the story. This is the best point of view from which to tell a story about a child. The telling voice is an adult's, so it can plausibly observe and say things a child would not, but all the sympathy is with the child. Gaiman brings it off with a skill that you wouldn't notice unless you were looking for it. Any thoughts on POV as it pertains to what we were just talking about or anything oh, now else? You, now you want me to react to the quote. I said, no, I thought I said I did want you to react. <laughs> I thought you said, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you said you didn't want me to. Oh, I meant, I. oh, I meant I want you to respond. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> if I misheard, I'm going to seem like a real jerk. No, right I now, thought you were I, like leaning back to get ready. Like you weren't going to interrupt me. That's why no, I wasn't. You, know, you said you didn't want me to respond to it. It's just like, okay, I guess this is just Craig's podcast this is just, now. I'm just, no. Please tell me what you think about this thing I said by Philip Pullman. <laughs> no, that he's right. I agree. <laughs> is there anything about that? Like about, cause you're not, you're in court. You're like right over Coraline's shoulder. I imagine. And that helps you know what it's she's not thinking. Even right over her shoulder, like you have access to her thoughts. It's just mm. your she. It is not Coraline in the first person telling you what those thoughts are. It is, it is the sort of disembodied Gaiman as narrator person reading those thoughts and telling you what they are. Sure, 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 sure. Um, yeah, like I, I don't think I could. I don't think I could put it better than that like i think that's and and that's the reason why we have so many adults who listen to i mean we have tons of teens and stuff who listen to our podcast too obviously but we have so many people who are excited for us to cover this book is is because i think it is it's a book that speaks to children but because it speaks to them with an adult voice adults can also access that and enjoy it and the the i i don't think this is just the the Henry Selick link because again I haven't seen the movie, but I do think the appeal of it is in that same realm as a as a sort of Nightmare Before Christmas where you watch it as an adult and are like, this is this is this safe for kids? Like this seems a little spooky, scary for kids to watch and process and deal with, and maybe it is for for some of them, but like. It is a like Henry likes to be spooked. Henry likes a good yeah. jump scare. Like he he starts and then he cracks a big old smile and then he laughs at me. Like it is the <laughs> it is the good kind of scared 
I think because things do end up okay at the in in the end i guess yeah there was an interview with indie bound where uh gaiman's was talking about response to the book and to the difference between adults and kids reading it he said reading audience number one is adults adults completely love it and they tell them it gave them nightmares they found it really scary and disturbing and they're not sure it's a great good book for kids but they loved it reading audience number two are kids who read it as an adventure and they love it they don't get nightmares and they don't find it scary i think part of that is that kids don't realize how much trouble Coraline is in. She is in big trouble and adults read it and think, I know how much trouble you're in. That's an interesting I'm fascinated by how aware he is of that. Mm -hmm. Because that gulf that gulf seems to actually explain some of the reviews I read on places like Common Sense Media where even like teens were in disagreement about which was scarier, the book or the movie. (laughs) Because I think for some of them the movie maybe had like scary imagery, but the book, the implications of Coraline getting stuck in this place were scarier to some readers. Um, sure. I don't know if you have thoughts on like what is and is not scary about this book. I mean, I, th- I think the, just the descriptions of th- there is something, my understanding of the world is that when Coraline is in this corridor between worlds, there's something even bigger and older and scarier than the the other mother monster no, who ends up being the, the big bad. You don't really end up meeting it, but she, there is just this oppressive feeling in this in this corridor, and, and that's described in a totally different way than the other mother monster is described. Huh. Um, and and maybe I'm maybe I'm you know nope. misreading it. Maybe that maybe that's just how the other mother's energy like manifests outside of this, you know, this facade that she's built for for Car- Coraline to inhabit. But you, you know what this sounds like, Andrew? Was it sounds what? like you're describing a parallel universe of sorts. Of sorts, yeah, you could say that. I think. I think you've hit the you've hit the of sorts <laughs> on the head here. <laughs> Uh, all right, we want to wrap us up. How how does the sure, like, story yeah, so, come to a head here? So yeah, the the I implied it just now, but yeah, the the other mother is is the monster, and everything else in this universe, like all the mirror versions of the other people who live in the in the house, the mirror version of the other father who accidentally tells Coraline more than he should, and is sort of punished for it. You know, scene that is very grotesque that I think would be scary. Okay. To a kid, but maybe it wouldn't be apparently because kids are just so brave and they don't know how scary stuff is. <laughs> um, she, so she she finds all the souls of the kids. They're you know in the form of little marbles. She finds them with the help of her handy rock with a hole in it. She is thinking, okay, I don't know where my parents are, but then she realizes as so as she's navigating her way through this house like the the facade starts to fall away a little bit and you you actually get different descriptions of the house as like as so if you think of the house as a photograph when she initially comes into the universe like as she makes this monster matter and gets closer to unraveling the scheme the facade becomes more like a rough drawing or or a sketch like if you if you can imagine i think the the looney tunes like the, the artist fourth wall breaking thing is still my best like reference point yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> for it but um 
so this gives her this idea that like th- this monster cannot create stuff. It can only like warp and distort stuff that already exists. Huh. And so she thinks, okay, there's one thing that I've seen in this house that does not have some version in my, in, in my, in the real house. And it's this, you know, snow globe with two figures in it. And so she figures out that, yeah, the, the figures are her parents and they're trapped in the snow globe. Okay. Um, and so she, you know, she tricks the monster. She gets everybody out and she, there, th- this is an early opportunity for a happy ending. Cause she just gets out and her parents, like they, they are back. They, they have lost, Two days, but in that way that adults sometimes do, you know, time just flows differently. And so and and your brain is protecting you from all kinds of traumatic stuff all the time. So they just don't seem like they question a lot. Just a lot of traffic, you know, they actively participate in the escape from the parallel universe of sorts. They don't talk to they don't sit down with Coraline and be like, whoa, that was some wild stuff that happened, huh? Huh. But there is there's something that followed her. And so the actual end of the of the book is her dealing with this. It's the hand one of the other mother's hands, like this big like spidery thing is all creeping around and trying to and like injuring the neighbor's dog and just like waiting for her to slip up and not notice something. So there's there's been this old rickety old well that she's not supposed to go and explore around because it is, she could fall in it and it would be bad. And so she sets up a fake tea party with fake dolls and she lays a tablecloth over top of this old well and then, um, throws the, I think the key to the, to the door, to the other, you know, yeah. Like on, in the middle of this a thing and the hand jumps to grab it and falls into the well. And then she puts boards over the well and that that's the end of the story is she again triumphantly defeats this thing that nobody like people kind of had so a weird sense that it was there but they you know again the adults in her life are just oblivious enough not to want to ascribe like supernatural yeah characteristics to this thing and then her you know, after that she I get her character's journey is like, she gets the other people in the house to like call her Coraline and acknowledge like her (laughs) personhood basically. Yeah. By recognizing maybe that she could, you know, save her own little piece of the world. She can demand more space in the world she's used to. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's Coraline. I dug it. Yeah. I liked it. Um, it wasn't too scary for you. You're not going to have nightmares. No, it wasn't too scary. There, there are the, there are ways that, the other father and, and some other stuff is described that will stay with me for a while. Think, <laughs> and did we kind of talked about this a little bit? I just want to make sure, like the other world, like the way that they kept her. Was it really kind of monkey pawsy? Like, oh, you wanted this type of attention, and now you're getting it. And oh, wait, we're monsters. Or it's, it, it doesn't beat you over the head with that. There, there is an element to my to to your understanding of that as as an adult. I think and it's. Coraline is never really fully like Edmund with the Turkish delight fooled into thinking. Okay. Yes. That these monsters have her best interest at heart. Like she, 
realizes that they want to sew buttons where her eyes are and intuitively realizes that it's bad and she should get out. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then only, only after that, when she realizes that they have her parents, does she need to go back into this, this place that she knows is, is bad and like expose herself more fully to it. That That's a major difference I saw in folks writing about the book is that yeah. book, book Coraline seems to be a little more wary of this place than mm-hmm. movie Coraline is at sure. first. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for traveling into that creepy other place for me, Andrew, because I don't want to. I think it would be too scary for me. Maybe. You're kind of a scaredy cat, so. Yeah, I know. I don't. Actually, that might be the cat in the book might consider that phrase offensive. The cat explains that cats don't need names. Huh. Because like you guys need names because you're trying to. You have a hard time like knowing who you are and like, and, like as a as a being. So you need to name yourself to like ground yourself. But okay. How like but how high was this cat when he said any of this? I think he's as high as a normal cat is. I don't even think we need names, man. <laughs> you just be yourself. And Coraline's like, what if I need to call you for dinner? And the cat's like, you could just say dinner and I'll come. It's fine. <laughs> okay. That's some king stuff, cat. Good work. Yeah. Um, all right, great. Thanks for telling me about the story, Andrew. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I appreciate you listening. We don't say this enough. Yeah, I'm trying to model, you know, appreciation and good friendship for our listeners hmm. who can email us if they want to about the book Coraline or whatever. I don't know. About the movie The Little Prince that I can't shut up about, I guess. Send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. You gotta watch another movie, Craig. <laughs> I gotta watch another movie quick. Um, send us uh, things on social media. That's a thing that I said. Mm-hmm. Facebook and overdue. Mm, Facebook and twitter.com slash overdue is where you will find that. We have an Instagram or something, I think. Shout out to Milligan, M, Maddie, Jack, uh, Kate, Sean, Hannah, Jonathan, and more for reaching out in the past week. Our theme song is composed by Nick Lorangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? You should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. Uh, You can buy those from bookshop.org, which supports your local independent bookseller, supports us, and also gets you a book. So everybody wins. Yeah. Uh, we have a Patreon project, also patreon.com slash overdue pod. Um, if you've been having any trouble accessing stuff up there lately, uh, let us know. We've had a couple of people reach out and suggest that they haven't been able to get at some of the bonus content that we've posted up there lately. Like we are still actively posting. So if you can't get at it, something is wrong. Yeah. On somebody's in. So yeah, we're trying, we're trying to figure out what that is so more data points would be welcome if if this is something that you run into uh next week craig what are you reading the tiger's wife by Teo brick tiger's wife very nice oh my good lord all right uh if you if this podcast was good for you then please <laughs> come back next week and until we talk to you then try to be happy
That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>